0: Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. This is Neil. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men. de reconstructing the South. We will be continuing our positive eschatology. <clears throat> uh, we've previously spoken on manhood and how that men taking up their rightful place and turning their hearts to their children and their wives will help the family grow and God will bless that success. And then we spoke on how uh, there are specific passages where God gives uh, specific blessings and curses to those who either you know, do what he has expected of us to do versus uh, those who decide that they are not going to do what God has expected us to do. And we, we touched a little bit on uh, the communal aspect of a public acceptance, a corporate public acceptance of God's law and how God blesses not only the individual or the family, but also communities by following his law. So this episode, we're just going to kind of expand on this a little bit. It'll be um, – uh, free form format where we can just explore that a little bit.
1: Right. So uh, essentially we're exploring where, what happens after we establish um, a positive eschatology within the home um, where we're going from these blessings that God has given us. We, we got our house in order. We've uh, like Jordan Peterson says, you know, once we what do we do after we clean our room? Right. Uh, we, we've taken care of our stuff. Now we need to expand it out to community. How do we establish post-millennial um a post way of thinking to something larger than just our wife children cousins etc uh and that's you know we we need to build something let's go let's go fight and win right i'm admittedly ignorant on this because i haven't
2: really been very uh post-millennial in my eschatology over the years i i, I am optimistic I will say that much, but I'm not uh, what you would probably define as a post-mill. But I do believe that Christians should be the most influential force in society, especially, especially, especially politically. Like It makes no sense to me. Pluralism is probably the dumbest experiment ever conducted by a country that used to be predominantly culturally Christian. It's probably the dumbest thing. Ever and, and we act like the American experiment is the greatest thing ever, which I guess to some extent in some aspects, yeah. But I believe a Christian monarchy would be far more superior. Um, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying that, but that's just me. Um but look where pluralism has gotten us. You know, it backfed it backfed into our predecessors in in Great Britain. I mean, they're not doing any better now, right? Because their monarchies titular it's not even real it's, it's fake it's a fake monarchy uh they're just they're just all they're just as well off as we are in the worst ways so in terms of influence in the community obviously we need to start local and so i'm such a huge fan of uh, michael foster um what, what does he call it lucas county over country yeah county over country i think that that is a phenomenal message that needs to get out because what, what do conservatives do? What do conserv- they think that they're fighting the battle, the political battle, from their keyboards, griping on Facebook like a bunch of old curmudgeons, and that's all they do. They, don't, they, they couldn't tell you the, <clears throat> the beliefs of their local politicians. They just know that they got an arm beside their name and they vote for them. I'm going to tell you right now, my county, my county commissioners suck, all four of them. They all got an R beside their name, and, and they all get voted for. They all get elected because the county's predominantly uh, "quote unquote" conservative Republican. Uh, city council's half, half, and half, and our mayor's a Democrat. So, but here's the funny thing: we have churches on every corner, bro. We have we have Baptist churches especially everywhere. But what kind of influence do you think we pull in the county? Very little, very, very little. And why is that? because Christianity to my community at least I can't speak for you guys but you probably have a similar experience Christianity in my town means building your own little isolated kingdom in your little church and and uh, resigning yourself to uh, self-righteous pietism where like the holier I am that's all that matters it doesn't even they don't even care about their kids around here man they really don't they don't they don't care about their kids
0: and the issue i've dealt with is um you know I, I almost seem like a heretic to some people talking about it like this but um this overemphasis on soteriology where the only thing that matters is if it's the gospel issue uh if it's directly related to the gospel it's the only thing that they care about it's the only thing that matters there isn't building any kind of permanence. There isn't influencing the community of oh, right. Christ. Mm-hmm. It's just about you know, getting people saved. And I've even dealt with it talking to uh, pastors or or people in the in the church, um, <laughs> you know, having this podcast that I have uh, talking to the southern people. Um, Southerns will come to me and ask me why I'm having a podcast directed at Southerns. Because the gospel's for all people, right? As if we shouldn't take a special care for our own people, as if taking a special care for our own people is somehow evil. Um, and it's this this acceptance. It's almost a, a cosmopolitan look at life. Uh, they're they're it, looking towards your own people in your community is almost a, um, a heretical thing, you know. Uh, this this gets into a few other things such as the uh, the missionary work into other countries before you even you know missionary in your own community um, and you know a few other areas but you know specifically in regards to building community and building churches this is a this is a huge deal
1: well I mean it's yep. essentially they don't believe in tribe tongue and nation <clears throat> all right if they're if they're complaining that you don't, want to you know focus on a particular subset of people aka your tribe um then they don't believe what's written in revelations so you know just think of it like this tribe being you know your county tongue being your state and then country is you know well all of dixie uh we don't count the yankees um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unironically, I'm not counting the Yankees right now because I believe that they're a different race than the um than the Southerns. But that's a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, focusing local, focusing on who we can actually have influence over, instead of just scattershotting all across the globe yeah. to say that we're gonna, you know, spread the gospel in little small BBs here and there throughout the world. But if we you can actually start within a county, so I think what Douglas Wilson's doing in Moscow, Idaho is actually a good thing. And I think he's doing it well, even though he's, I, I would say it's starting to take root, but it's still within the, you know, the baby phases of it. Like he's, he's got a thousand year game plan and a lot of people can't see past 10 months. Um, let, let alone 10 years. i just want to talk about this. That's what I would call
2: like a gospel overlay just for a second. Like, well, the, people make this point all the time that the gospel, you know, once, once it's believed by people, you know, it makes them uh, one with the rest of the church and we become equal uh, in God's eyes in terms of uh, our justification, which in a sense, I believe that's true. But the gospel doesn't extinguish uh, distinctions, right? Like in scripture, we still have distinct roles for men and women. Because of the there's an ontological difference between men and women, and I think that uh, the same is true between peoples. Now, I don't think it's uh, uh, I don't think it's as rigid as uh, as the difference between sexes. I think it requires, but what I think is that it requires a level of prudence that a lot of uh, our betters, as they see themselves, don't quite grasp. Like, you, you can't get two cultures together and expect them to live in complete harmony just because they believe in the gospel. That is completely inane. It doesn't even matter how, how close they are in proximity. If their cultural differences are so vast, it's going to take time, it's going to take lots of wisdom, and it's going to take, take a building of community and common ground, like that's what we're talking about. Like, Like, you know, the Civil War did not mend the differences between the Northerners and Southerners. Um, people if think anything, it, it amplified them. It, it amplified, just like the Civil Rights Act. It amplified division between blacks and whites. This is what uh, Sam Irvin was so adamant about. In his his, in, in, you know, he's from Morganton, North Carolina. He's a local hero. His grandson, his, or his son and grandsons, probably I wouldn't say are heroes, but uh, you know, he fought against civil rights because he believed it was a threat to civil liberties and he's right now we got to bake the cake now we got to take pictures of homos kissing each other now we got to do all these things that we shouldn't have to do because of quote unquote civil rights and so <clears throat> like you said this force integration compounded the problem and this is what's happening this is what i think is happening in the church they want there's not enough diversity you hear people like matt chandler and and David Platt, they say there's not enough diversity in the churches. Well, guess what? The churches are a reflection of the community, the demographics around them. And the only way you're going to get quote unquote diversity, it's going to take multiple generations of people working together prudentially solving their differences. And in some instances, they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to cross that bridge. They can have amiable relationships, and that's about it. Like well, I don't, I don't, I don't see any true unity between, uh, at least not for centuries, between Northern Ireland and the, and the Republic. you know These are pretty much the same peoples, and there are Protestants in the Republic, right? And there are Catholics in Northern Ireland. But these, these two groups of people, I don't know, it sounds like I got it backwards, but I'm making a point that, that both sides are diverse enough that you would think that they would have unity by now, but they don't there's still there's still a vicious division there and there's still a vicious division here in, in america between you know both sides of the mason dixon line.
1: well i mean in any truly free society there's going to be three places right there's going to be the place that group a meets place that group b meets and then a place that both of them can get together amicably, am- peaceably and uh <laughs> and, and meet together i can't i can't say some words my draw won't let me He's from um, Alabama, guys. You got to forgive him a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I know the word; it just will not come out. Anyways, amicable, Worcestershire sauce. Anyways, Winchester sauce. Yeah, Worcestershire <laughs> sauce. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, squirrel. Um, but but the the whole fact that like you know the heretic Martin Luther King Jr. was right about one thing: the most segregated time in America <laughs> is at eleven o- or ten a.m. on a Sunday morning. And that's not a bad thing, okay? Just because you want to go to a church with people that look like you is okay because God defines nations, right? So so even if there's two different people groups within the same nation, there are still going to be distinct nations that he saves. He's going to save both of them. They can live peaceably with one another. That doesn't mean they have to intermingle and mix and, and you know, Get in each other's wheelhouse for the sake of diversity. Like I, I, I I've never understood the um the whole diversity for diversity's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, my my church is you know probably about ninety percent white. That's okay because my area is about eighty percent white. Okay, and and the ones that aren't white, they go there. We love them all the same. I mean, it's we we don't acknowledge that because. You know, they're brothers in Christ, right? But at the same time, we shouldn't force that diversity just because we want to be on the cutting edge of diversity for whatever woke reasons.
0: Yeah. Well, and this, this kind of goes into Paul's criticism of Peter was that Peter was acting aloof and acting as if the Greeks did not have Christ. Um, and the preference that Peter had for his own people excluded them from worship with Christ together with their Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, In kind of this perverse way, it's the same kind of prejudice, but the prejudice is for the other instead of for one's own people.
2: Yeah, it's uh. – what is – uh? do you have uh, oikophobia? That's what it's called.
0: Yeah, Um. and or so xeno, – Or
2: xeno, xenophilia is the other word.
0: Right, and so the, the deal is that they're going to bring in the minority groups to be in their church just because they're minority groups. It has nothing to do with them being brothers in Christ even, and a lot of these new – woke additions to the SBC a lot of these new woke additions to uh let's just call it Big Eva as a whole I like that I like that term
1: mm-hmm.
0: um you know a lot of these woke additions have been added on just simply because they have a, a particularly colored skin um and you know it, within their own framework I don't accept their framework mind you but even within their own framework. Um, you know in the old testament god prohibited preferences based on one being poor or oppressed versus someone being rich or you know aloof um the exercise of law and the exercise of justice was supposed to be blind to someone's social status in a sense and so in the in the same way, it's this perverse. Well, they see these people as oppressed, therefore they ought to be included. They ought to be. Um, they ought to be magnified. And it comes to the point where, um, you know, Travis and I were looking on a, a particular social media post, and an article was listed from uh, the Gospel Coalition. No, no, it wasn't. It was. Um, who was that from? Muir, Des- Muir, Desire- Muir was
2: after?
0: No, it was from Desiring God. Mm. And Desiring God was hosting a writer. This was a guest writer, but it still got uh, uh, Desiring God is hosting this writer who lauded Martin Luther King Jr., who was a heretic, and all but threw away Dabney, who was a brother in Christ. And we'll give airtime and we'll magnify heretics as part of our Christian faith, but we'll deny the brotherhood of someone who was a brother in Christ. And it's because of this preference of a particular group of people. That's all it has to do with. Now, mm-hmm. we can criticize Dabney all we want. If you disagree with Dabney's defenses of, of the institution, that's fine. It's, a, it's immaterial to the issue. You're you're magnifying someone who denied Christ's deity, as someone uh, the Gospel Coalition thinks is worthy to be magnified, and someone who's a brother in Christ gets thrown out with the trash.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've noticed that a lot. I was talking with um, I think I was talking with my pastor about this, how we were how um, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, basically anathematize the founders of the Southern Baptist Convention because they own slaves, but they're going to allow people within their, within their conference that, that literally do not hold to any particular, uh, regulative principle at all. Uh, whether or not you're strict on that or not, but you're literally, th- th- there are people that are in the SBC that are modalist. Let, let's just be flat out and say it. Um, there's people in there that deny the doctrine of the Trinity, there, there's even people that are borderline open theist in there because they hate Calvinism so much. But yet we're going to condemn a, a someone that owned a slave, even though Paul even regulates slavery. Like, he never condemned slavery in any of his epistles. Nowhere in the scriptures does it actually condemn, you know, the institution of slavery but we're gonna throw those men out who had a higher view of God than than literal heretics, literal heretics, and I, I just I just don't understand it. Um, it's like people are worshiping an idol or something. Uh, let the reader understand that one. But I think we're a bit off topic right now. Uh, we're we're talking about uh, building a community. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I I what we're
0: specifically addressing here, though. Is we have to change. We have we have to influence those around us and change this perception of the oikophobia. We have to change this perception of um, the xenophilia, right? This this attraction of the other and hatred of one's own self. I'm not saying that we need to hate the other. I'm saying that we need to love our own communities before we try to go out and rescue communities that are on our own. Mm -hmm. So it's this redirection of the desire to build, the desire to create, uh, the desire to uplift. We ought to – it's kind of an incorrect way of using the terminology, but we have to introspect that desire a little bit. We have to turn that inwards to our own communities and build our communities up. If we're not building our own communities, how are we going to go out and build anybody else?
1: Right. I mean, hanging out in some of the uh, the circles that I've been hanging out in in the past several years, um, the left would unabashedly call each and every one of us a racist. But the fact of the matter is, is we do not hate the other race. We we don't. We we don't hate people that are different than us. We just love our own. I love my family. No offense to you guys, but I love my family more than I love your family. And, and the reason of that is, is because they're my family. So I'm going to take care of mine before I take care of yours. We should have the same perspective about our community. Uh, and, and to to say that we shouldn't is, well, that, that's wrong and foolhardy. Um, my, my duty is to my family first. And then, it is to my community second, and then it can extend out from there. It is towards my people, my nation, my tribe, if you will. And I don't think that's wrong. People want to say that that's too small of a thing, but I think I can have more of an impact, um, especially when it comes to uh, gospel preaching and even discipleship within my own people, rather than you know, as, as I said earlier, scattering BBs across a across the globe and hoping something sticks. I was gonna say something about what Lucas was saying with regards to relegating the um
2: relegating the Christian life, I guess to or a Christian belief system to just soteriology mm. uh, or how should actually let I me mean, back up a second let me rephrase that. So you were saying that we have that Christians have a um, they reduce Christianity to just soteriology yes. I agree. That's all. It's, that's that's all
0: that matters and, it, matters. and
2: here's the thing: is is when is when the implications of the gospel bleed over into other areas of life, we have a nasty tendency, and I mean the royal we, not me personally, but we have a nasty tendency to rein that in, to actually self sabotage, and even fulfill our own prophecies. Christians, you know, Christians are supposed to fail, so this doesn't, this isn't right. You get, you get. These publications like uh, Mere Orthodoxy, Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, they make a huge deal out of Christian nationalism, even going so far as to redefine it as something synonymous with, with uh, Nazism. I mean, intellectual dishonesty aside, the point stands that any time the gospel has an implication greater than just personal pietism, evangelicals especially well evangelicals and Southern Baptists especially have a nasty tendency to rein that in. Um, now it used to not be that like that, but here, here's the thing is those people in the past who used to represent the uh, religious right. Uh, I'm embarrassed, but it. anytime it comes up in history, I'm embarrassed about who used to represent the religious right. Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, look, these people, like these are the people who used to represent us. Like, very rarely do you hear Carl Henry's name, even though he's the one who uh, started. What was it Christianity Today? Is that what he started? One of those I can't remember. Like very rarely do you hear his name mentioned. All you hear about are these are these wingnut that really had no business being in the public public square. Uh, they're not even close to being on the same level as our heroes of the past, like like Robert Louis Dabney, or uh, or uh, James Montgomery Boyce, or or a uh, C.H. like these guys had no business being there. And what bothers me is, is that uh, we had people uh, before them who should have been put in the spotlight, like uh John Gresham Machen. Great, great hero. Um, but instead we get these, these embarrassments, these, you know, who I, who I really like, who I've come to admire is Chuck Olson for his uh, his his i call it prudent ecumenicalism uh obviously he wasn't a roman catholic obviously he believed that, that roman catholics were wildly at odds with protestants but he understood the the, the necessity of co-belligerence with roman catholics uh, i used to admire in divinity school and uh uh, Timothy George but even even they've gone woke and it, it's truly annoying and even aspects of the ACNA the Anglican Church of North America they've gone woke PCA is fighting it off and now here we are the Southern Baptist Convention is round two of the conservative resurgent and it's like it, it's it's neutered before it can even get started because they're we're running on momentum from the past we're totally ignorant though the, this new conservative resurgent, uh, I don't. I, it's it, to me, it's like they they still relegate the gospel to this narrow Pietism, and that if you start if you start talking bad about pluralism and the fact that Christianity should be at the forefront of all belief systems, especially in government, you start talking like that. Now, this they, they see Mussolini and Adolf Hitler, and they start they they start you know the red flags go up, and all of a sudden you're a bad guy.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's like they don't expect the gospel to actually work. Just, just you know, looking back, because I, you know, I wasn't ever raised Southern Baptist, so I'm I'm looking at all this from an outsider's point of view, and I'm still not technically Southern Baptist. I'm, you know, we're not in the SBC, but um. You know, look, looking at it from an outsider point of view, it's like they don't exactly they don't expect the gospel to actually change a person. And if it does actually change a person, they need to keep it within their, the four walls of their house, or on, or you know, in their car. And then when they get into church, and that's the only places their Christianity should actually be affected is what radio stations you have on your preset, and what you actually do at your home and at church. Instead of actually bringing it outside the, you know, and I'm using a, um, a new hip evangelical term, bring it outside the four walls, your Christianity should affect everything you do. It should mm-hmm. affect the places you shop, the people you associate with, the type of policies that you're, you know, you're trying to uh, establish within your local community. It should affect, it should affect literally the way you trim the hedges around your house. Everything should be affected by your Christianity. And the fact that these people just relegate it with inside of a building is just absolutely disgraceful. To to say that, you know, now I still get I still look at it kind of cringy whenever I, I see these political ads and they They just do this hokey, like, oh, yeah, this person's a Christian member of the First Baptist Church of Wetumpka, Alabama, so you should vote for him because they're a Christian in the South. That still gets (laughs) kind of cringy, but at the same time, we need people that are actually solid in the faith to be influencing policies on a local level. We should be having—Alabama should not have a problem having theologically sound members of the Alabama House of Representatives within the House-Senate. There should not be a single problem with that, but the problem is, is they they're not running, because they're leaving their Christianity in the church, and they're not bringing it into the Capitol building of Montgomery because oh separation of church and state, total hogwash, total hogwash. You should bring your Christianity in there and be legislating Christianity from Montgomery, from um what uh what, what's the capital of uh. Mississippi, I can't remember Jackson. right now. Jack, that's what I that's what I thought. But I, I anyways, do I have a capital? <laughs> yeah, it's a double not, wide, but you know,
0: not, not anymore, really. Hines County done took it over.
1: I, I, well, I didn't figure it was one of the biggest cities in uh in Mississippi, <laughs> you know. But anyways, that's neither here nor there.
0: I was uh. actually uh wondering if this was a good time to bring up the dispensationalist
2: well zionism is a cancer let's just let's just be blunt about it like this has nothing to do with being jewish i mean the biggest anti-zionists are the jewish sect who reside in iran for goodness sake what about the ultra orthodox who live in new york these are some of the biggest anti-zionists in the world but yet you can't be you know anything other than Jewish and be anti-Zionist without being accused of being anti-Semitic or racist, which is absurd. Because guess what, the Semites aren't just Jewish. The, the the Semitism encompasses Arabs as well. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Zionism is a myth, right? It's a myth born out of dispensationalism. And I know this is gonna this is gonna rub a lot of people the wrong way, and I don't care, honestly. But they treat Israel like a lucky rabbit's foot. Literally, they they literally do this. Like whatever political uh, views dispensationalists have, they put foreign policy at the forefront with Israel at the top. That's a, That's what matters more. If we're not defending Israel, then we might as well kiss America goodbye. It's like, listen, the more we have supported Israel over the decades, look how much worse American society has gotten. Like that's got to show you, that's got to prove something to you yeah if you're gonna if you if're gonna sit there and use that sort of evidence then you you gotta look at the evidence then like obviously rubbing the lucky rabbit's foot doesn't do anything yeah I was gonna say
1: that's a, I was gonna say that's a shitty rabbit's foot because uh since nineteen forty eight uh America has just went to pot i mean. Uh, it's, the fifties were okay, but they weren't all that, you know, all that great. And, uh, we just started declining ever since then. I mean, it's kind of like going to a casino. The more money we send to Israel, the poor we get. So,
0: I got something I want to add in here. Just give me one second. Cause I'm looking for, all right. <clears throat> so I remember growing up and, uh, hearing one specific, preacher speaking about these prophecies these prophecies how they're gonna it's gonna it's gonna bring in the end times right the final you know the whole Tim LaHaye deal where the final battle is gonna be in the valley of Megiddo again was it John Hagee? yeah John Hagee and his (laughs) blood moon prophecies now you know for John Hagee to have such a enormous voice to people, when the man is probably not qualified to be a pastor, number one, uh, just because of his antics with his marriage
2: and all the but false prophecies.
0: And all – well, but that's it. Yeah, I mean with with all of the false prophecies that he comes out with, with um, him directly saying in his sermons that there's two ways to get into heaven, one's to be saved by the blood of Christ and the other's to be a Jew. This is the kind of stuff that I'm more directed towards uh, because this is an internal issue. This isn't even address, you know, any of the socio political issues. This is strictly a theological issue within the camp of Christians that, you know, really they worship the state of Israel. It's uncriticizable. Uh, the The Jews today are completely uncriticizable can't say anything about them negatively or you're evil you're you're a a, an actor for satan essentially and they do believe that being a jew is another way to get into heaven and you know for any dispensational who made it this far um when you when you treat the Jewish people like that, you're actually doing violence to what you believe about the blood of Christ.
2: Isn't that a way of leading the blind astray too? What we were talking about last uh, on the last. Yeah, day? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so the Jew first, and then the Gentile, but they're not even going to the Jew first. They're they're going to the the, the Gentile first, and then pretending the Jew is going to be okay. Well, they're specifically the
0: telling the Gentile that the Jew will be okay, mm. and he's only going to be okay because he is a Jew. Doesn't matter what else he does.
2: Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to misrepresent. Uh, I don't want to broad brush, but I mean this, this is the implication, right? I mean, this is why uh, you, you don't see. It's it's ironic. You see, dispensationalist evangelicals complaining about. Uh, the freedom of christians to evangelize in uh, in china and you know they condemn the chinese government but why aren't they condemning the israeli government you can't evangelize openly in israel you, you there's proselytism laws you will get arrested if you go to the temple mount and hand out a gospel tract you will get arrested you will get arrested if you try to engage a hasidic jew in israel in any place in israel you will get arrested i mean they are it's ironic, Christians in Palestine, in the West Bank, and uh, what's the other, Gaza Strip, they are more free there than they are in Israel to evangelize. They can literally open air preach. They literally have, they, they you know they you know the Orthodox uh, Arabs in in those areas they ha- they have a, what are they called? where they carry like a statue of Mary through the streets or whatever. I forget what they call that, but they're allowed to do that in, in Palestine, West bank and Gaza. You, you try that in Jerusalem when it's not on a designated holiday. Cause you know, around the Coptic and, and Orthodox churches, they're allowed to do that. But you try to do that anywhere
1: else in Israel. You're not going to get away with that. We need large banners with guys in full armor and swords to be carrying banners of the cross through Jerusalem again. We must retake <laughs> Jerusalem for Christ and Constantinople. Well, it's funny. It's like Israel is the perfect
2: shell game for the industrial uh, military-industrial complex because all you had to do was turn Israel into this into this rabbit's foot. All you had to do is point to, to Israel and point Christians to Israel and say, "Look, if we bless them with protection, the the Lord will bless us." Well, all it's done is fill the pockets of politicians. Who who have stocks in Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Hughes and and Northrop Grumman and all these companies like that's all it's done is make them money. It hasn't made it hasn't made uh, Christianity thrive any better in America or anywhere else in the world. It hasn't done anything for the West but make things worse because now we have we have a target on our backs uh, from terrorist organizations who otherwise wouldn't even have any money. Where the CIA is not bleeding money all over the Middle East. Just a plug for Andrew Basevich, Look him up, and Scott Horton. Anyway, I digress.
1: But yeah, it's it's kind of ironic <laughs> that before we topple these regimes, that Christians can practice so much more freely under Saddam's regime and in, um, in Iraq, Christians could actually worship freely, and now now they have to now they're persecuted a lot more. I'll put it that way. Um, now in Syria, same thing in Syria. Yeah, too. same thing in Syria, uh, and you know, I mean. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of any politician, but Assad seems like a pretty solid fella. and I think we you yeah. know i just leave it alone, let him do what he's going to do because I think he he has the best for his nation in mind. Um,
0: oh, now you're a Russian butt there. Oh yeah, yeah that's the, that's the next <laughs> th-
1: this podcast is already going to get taken down anyways. He, he went over there and started mentioning Lockheed Martin. We've been talking about is it, <laughs> is it real and all that yeah. other good stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i think bringing this back in um you know our our focus should be on building our communities so we have to turn our eyes inwards and you know the things we're talking about right now you know we're we're pointing at some larger issues that we're dealing with consistently so you know number one i think if we took a small summary number one you have to realize that not everything is soteriology. There is a whole realm of practice, understanding, and learning and um, uh, building that's outside of the salv outside of salvation itself. Um and I think this gets into so you know in, in Hebrews six um the writer of Hebrews uh, says, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands the resurrection of dead and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. We have to get beyond the basic understanding of salvation we have to get solid in that we have to understand it it has to be our core it has to be our foundation but once we set that foundation we're not going to keep steady setting other foundations we're going to build on that foundation we're going to build a house on top of that salvation uh, on top of that foundation and we're going to move forward carrying that foundation as the basis on which we, we act and we do everything else. Um, you know, Travis mentioned earlier, you know, you're going to do all of these things un- under the understanding that Christ is king, he has saved us from our sins, and now we act in a certain way. We act in a certain way because we're trying to honor Christ. And there's a way that we understand reality because of that. But moving forward, We have to learn how to act effectively within whatever realm we're getting into, and that becomes less of a soteriological issue, and it becomes more of a wisdom issue, and you'll turn to things like – you're going to turn to things like uh, uh, what's the most practical way of farming – how do you understand the land? How do you work with the land? How do you act in such a way as to make the land the most profitable that it can be? You're going to look at uh, you know, your local social and political bodies. You're going to try to understand the people that are in there. You're going to try to uh, navigate the specific issues that you're dealing with in those local polities. Same thing to do with your church. You've got you've to be effective – in convincing, you've got to learn how to interact with your local body and be effective at convincing other people and showing them from the word. And sometimes that means that you have to take a different approach than just slapping a Bible verse in their face. Sometimes you have to demonstrate some things. Sometimes you have to uh, talk you know, over a period of years and get them to understand where you're coming from before they'll really get uh, to where they need to go. And, you know, each realm is going to have a particular way of going about them. And there's a wisdom that you have to use to get into those areas and to be effective in those areas. Um, and that's not a soteriological issue. That's a wisdom issue. And you're going to deal more with, you know, Psalms and uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes when it comes to that.
1: Hey, Your you're farming uh, analogy kind of spurred a... Um... I thought in my head, so I, I mentioned in a few podcasts ago that I'm, uh, I'm trying to start a community garden and I'm trying to get more people on board because I thought a lot of people, especially renters, would be like, yeah, let's do this, you know, let's grow some fresh vegetables, but uh, that that's one small step that you can take so my church has a little bit of extra land that we're not using, so I asked the elders if I could, you know, have, you know, a few hundred feet to plant some plots so that's what I'm gonna do to try to foster a better sense of community within my own my own sphere of influence, if you will and um and then that's a great way of because right now, I would say my church has a fairly you know fairly good community with it, especially within the the little you know clique that I have, but we're getting more and more people moving into my area. Uh, you know, we're one of the hubs of the great migration right now, if, if you want to call it that. And, um, I don't know these people from Adam, but we have to somehow, if they're going to be members of the church, be plugged into the community at large in order to actually fit in down here. Um, I call it the, uh, the Southernization of the Northerners. Um, it's not going to happen overnight and they are most likely never <laughs> going to be Southern, but maybe their grandkids will be, and it starts with them actually um, becoming a part of the community that they moved into. So I just think that's you know that's just one example that comes to my mind of a a hands on approach. Or if you don't want to do a community garden, you know, just have some of these people that move into your areas. Heck, have some of the locals that you've never even talked to in your community. Have them over for barbecue. You know, get your smoker out, throw throw a couple hogs' butts on there, and you know, make make it right. Sh- show these, you know, show somebody, you know, what good food is, and just have conversation. Maybe bring out a nice bottle of whiskey and share it around. Unless you're, you know, too baptistly baptist, um, then uh, then you could
0: bring out your grape juice,
1: yeah, or Coca Cola. <laughs> Br- bring out your Coca Cola. There you go. Sundra, cheer wine. No, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but yeah, that that just kind of you know that that's that's taking a wisdom approach, like you were alluding to earlier. Lucas was, you know, <coughs> fostering the community because if you can't if you can't build a, a community that small, if you can't build a community between two families, you probably don't need to go to your county commissioners. But at the same time, you need to go to your county commissioners. You know, you, they are your representatives. Therefore, they should represent you and you should actually have influence over them.
0: Right. So, the the, the way that I, I think you and I would both approach this is the goal is to be able to go to your county commissioner. If you're not ready, it's time to start getting ready. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, you, you want to grow to meet that need. And right now you're not ready. So if you're not ready, we'll start getting ready. Learn how to influence the people around you and then go from there.
1: If you're not influencing your commissioners, you as a Christian are not influencing your commissioners, somebody else is. And more than likely, what's happening in my area right now is a bunch of -of out-of-state people that want to do a lot of developments within the county are coming in and influencing my commissioners. And I want to stop that. And I think I can actually persuade them because all the commissioners that I have are local grown, you know, uh, at at minimum third generation to this county, you know, probably fifth to eighth generation within the state, um, you know, family lines. And if they're not careful, they're going to get some damn Yankee to replace them and i'm not talking about a northern i'm talking about a damn yankee carpetbagger coming down here and totally screwing up my county
0: well i mean this is what happened in virginia right you know it it it, it wasn't overnight that they had actual pedophilia being peddled to 15 and 14 year olds you know that 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 took a while that took investment yeah and that's because the 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 locals didn't make sure the people of Virginia didn't make sure to protect their children from that, 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 that mother who, you know, in that particular circumstance was being a good mother by going to her, her, uh, her her local um, council and confronting them about this. uh, But she wasn't doing her job for years when they had that book on the list and she didn't know anything about it. You know, all the faults we have of of public education, it can be done properly. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a way to do it properly. The problem is that our current systems are so far from that that it's of our opinion that you shouldn't have your kids even darken in the threshold of the door. Much less being enrolled there.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's it's you know it goes back to the sin of um, of abdication. We're just abdicating our responsibility. Oh well, we don't need to educate our children because public school is educating our children. Uh, I and I trust my my educational system because my tax dollars goes to it. Surely they have their best interest at heart. Well, no, not what we shouldn't assume that something in our community has our, has our best interest at heart, unless we are directly influencing it. And, um, you know, that's just one way that, uh, that's just one way that the, uh, the enemy, if you will, uh, use an ambiguous term, sneaks in and, and literally bites you on the leg like a snake. I think right now would be a good time to, uh, introduce
2: a new segment. If I, if I can make a suggestion. Yeah. Uh, what 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 are we reading individually that we, we're probably not gonna plan on discussing later? What book, if anything, are are each of us uh reading? Who wants to go first? Just just to give like a, a brief you know no, uh, mean, a statement about it.
1: Yeah, I can. I'm I'm actually uh I just finished one book uh today actually and I'm uh, still hacking my way through another one. Uh, the one I finished today was just a um, a book of short stories that C.S. Lewis wrote. Uh, it has a couple different ones. One of them is actually a um, kind of a spinoff from his that hideous uh, yeah the, that hideous strength book. It's uh, called The Dark Tower. Really good, really good. Um, and the other one is uh, Dabney's Defense of Virginia. Um, at, at, as a as a side note, we need to um, definitely discuss that topic, put it to rest, and um maybe never talk about it again because that's, that's gonna be a that's gonna be an inflammatory one yeah Lucas
0: um so I've got one that uh, I'm currently reading right now um, I've already read it but I'm going back through it uh, it's the unseen world by Michael heiser mm. um, yeah. and it gets into the divine Council it's um, mm. a lot of passages in the Bible that don't uh, they don't make sense on the surface of them. Uh, the the one that uh, stands out to me, and I know I've asked a couple of pastors this, and they just gave me a you know a, a strange eye and said, I don't know. Um, there's a uh, there's a passage where uh, you know God goes before a council and says that He wants this king to be destroyed. And a spirit, a spirit approaches God and suggests that he be a lying spirit to this king. So the king will be deceived and as a result of the deception be destroyed. And God says, okay, go do that. Um, and that, that was very odd to me. Uh, Because, you know, the way that I always understood it, you know, there's angels and demons and lions, bads that had to be a demon. Um, But Michael Heiser uh, presents this uh, more of a organic system going on where there's a lot of spirits that are out there. And uh, God presides over all of creation he's on the throne and so these these creatures actually come to god for permission to do things hmm. and some of these spirits had set them set themselves up to try to usurp god and this is what you saw in a lot of the old civilizations where they worship these deities where perhaps these deities were actually spirits um and the Israel's campaign through Canaan was to destroy the influence of these creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's one of the, one of the implications, but it's a, it's a really great book when it comes to explaining a lot of these trouble passages. Uh, he's not a hundred percent correct on everything. I don't think anybody is, but uh, it's, it's a, it's a good read just in general. Can I, it kind of opens your mind to uh, some other possibilities. So
2: yeah, my dad, my dad, finished that book not too long ago and he he highly recommended it to me <clears throat> so for me uh, i have a few books going as i usually do uh, i'm a pretty slow reader who has add so <laughs> i have to read multiple books but uh short list you know i'm reading deep exegesis by peter lightheart uh i'm not not real terribly far into it yet um deep exegesis the mystery of reading scripture it's really it's really great. Uh, Something Boniface option had uh, recommended to me. I think I think he recommended this to me. I'm not sure. It might have been James B. Jordan's book he had recommended. Either way, uh, you know we hope to have him on the podcast sometime in the near future. But anyway, this is a this is a great book so far. He's taken uh, Spinoza and Kant to task, and those who uh, have followed him in quote unquote conservative circles. I'm also reading David Haynes' Without Excuse, where he's taking the task Vantilian uh or just Vantilianism, and the biggest reason I'm reading it is because I used to be very into Gordon Clark, and apparently he, he, he kind of goes after Gordon Clark in there, so I look forward to working my way through that, um, and of course I'm reading uh, Masculine Christianity by Zach Garris, uh, I'm actually going through that with the, the men at my church. It's been slow and coming. We're only on chapter 4, which chapter 4 was about a fifth of the book anyway. It was like know, 40 pages or something like that. <laughs> uh, and that's that's been a pretty edifying. The men at our church have been uh, rather receptive. Um, still got a long ways to go. Uh, I won't get into that spe- specifically about the goings on in my church but uh it's definitely a book we need but the book that um i I just i took a round turn on and i've had several people recommend it to me over the years i just kind of put it off because i hate self-help books uh i really enjoyed um doug wilson's productivity i just finished it a couple weeks ago Mm. it's pretty good but i wouldn't consider that a self-help book more or less a way of reframing of, of uh of uh productivity and how it, what it's supposed to actually look like <clears throat> so i enjoyed that but the book i'm reading right now yeah don't laugh at me don't laugh at me i just i need to get it read because i'm tired of everybody recommended it to me and, and i'm being clueless about it but i'm reading rich dad Poor Dad. i don't even know the author's name john or no robert can Kinoy- i don't know something yosaki i don't know kiyosaki 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 so far, it's it's pretty good. Uh, it's not earth shattering, you know. It's stuff that I've already, I guess, I already knew, just haven't really implemented in my life. You know, mm. you shouldn't you shouldn't work so much for money as you should be making money work for you, kind of thing. And that's why, that's you know, poor people and middle class, no matter how much more money we make, it's never enough. We're on the Sisyphean, uh, what's it called? the sisyphean cycle where we're we're you we're constantly working uphill uh, and we're always discontent i get that i'm with them on that and this kind of gets this kind of segues back into our conversation because we were talking earlier about how can we have an impact on a local community and i think one of those ways is trying to figure out a way for ourselves to be Wealthy without chasing wealth in and of itself. I mean, what does Scripture say? What the love of money is the, is the root of all evil. And, and mm-hmm. I think, I think people misread that. They think love, uh, just means this this uh, this weird uh, affectionate feeling. It's like no, love means that you're 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 centering your life upon an increase of wealth as an end in itself, and not as a not as a means to an end. And I think that's where we could really be making a lot of headway because guess what? That's what the enemy has been doing this whole time. Do you think Bill Gates set out to be a billionaire? Heck no, but he's a monopolist. That's where he, that's where he's, that's what he's good at. He's good at making monopolies. And, you know, he was embarrassed by his monopoly with, uh, uh, when his monopoly got shut down with Microsoft and now he's moved on to, uh, uh, vaccines. That thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. He is, yeah. he is trying to he's trying to corner that market now, um, but he didn't set out to become a billionaire. He just made a good product and monopolized it. Uh, and you can say the same about all these guys. I mean, Zuckerberg and uh, what's the ball-headed tool uh, Bezos? Bezos. I mean, Jinx. These guys control things on such a scale. It's embarrassing to even talk about dominionism and post-millennialism it's like these guys did so much in such a short amount of time in one generation and what do we talk about the long game we're talking about taking hundreds of years I'm going to go and tell you Gramsci wasn't talking about hundreds of years the slow walk through the institutions yeah it was slow relative to my lifetime but that was what two generations if that Saul Alinsky, and now you got these: you, you, Bezos, Zuckerberg, and Bill Gates. I, I guarantee you these guys didn't read Gramsky or Saul Alinsky, but they have their worldview, and they've implemented it in such a way, and they've they've taken over in such a way that it's hard for us to catch up. So now we have to play this long game of defense, because we, we and we're so exhausted from playing defense, we don't know how to go on the offense. And so we're in this this never ending this self-feeding cycle of um, misery. <laughs> we can't we can't break free from it and become independently wealthy and create our own parallel economy. Isn't that what they call it? A parallel economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I do find it odd though that um men men like Bezos and Gates and those kind of fellas, they all have their eschatology. And, but their, their eschatology is literally founded upon shifting sand, but yet they're oh, yeah. doing so much more than us that are founded upon the rock. Uh, and, and I say us cause I'm including myself in this. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a multi-billionaire. So, uh, if so, I wouldn't be doing <laughs> yeah. this. Po- well, I'd probably still be doing this podcast. It would just, the production quality would be a lot better. Um, <laughs> You'd fly me out there on your private jet That's right, we, we, we would have like Joe Rogan specials type things On private jets while eating Caviar and, and drink, we have drinking an 40-year-old editor. Scott yeah. <laughs> Hey
0: y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast If you like what you hear, please share and comment Wherever you're listening to it And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast If you want to contact us Please send an email to DixiePolis at com Or send us a message on Gap. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to the website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I
2: know dark clouds will gather around me I know my Nothing's steep, but beauty is fear.